grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome with CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson. You have a role in my life story. And here's, here's some, you have, a, you have several things, but this is, this is one I'll mention now. Um, like in ninth or 10th grade, you called me fat and you did. I did. A, yeah. You did it in a matter of fact way. You were like, you were just like, like, what are you doing, man? You're fat and, and, or something like that. And it just, it was like, I was like, you know what? He's right. And you know what? I don't want to go through life having people think that of me. So like basically in high, like you, like you were the one who turned the switch, like, oh, I shouldn't be okay being fat. And, uh, and so then I started, you know, lifting weights. And then um, I found a boxing gym in college and I boxed as an amateur. Wow. Man. And it, you know, I knew I never, I knew I never would go to the top of boxing, but uh, just for the whole sort of my whole life, it's been like, just a way to train and just, you know, I'm not scared of taking a punch. I'm not scared of throwing a punch. You know, one of the great lessons of boxing is just staying calm under pressure. Just like, you know, no, no, nothing anybody's going to do is going to be as dangerous as um, Johnny Ghetto Blaster Williams, you know, <laughs> sparring with, with Ghetto Blaster, you know, my buddy, but, you know, ferocious, you know, ferocious fighter. And so like, you know, not, yeah. So anyhow, it's just giving me like this deep tranquility in life. Like I, I've, I've already, I've already been beaten up. This is going to be fine. What happens right now? Yeah. Yeah. One of the theses for this, for this podcast uh-huh. is influencers who overcome influencers who overcome adversity. Yeah. And the idea that everyone has a plan until uh-huh. you get punched in the mouth. Right. Which is the, you know, the, the Mike Tyson quote. And yeah. And if you know how to take a punch and stay calm, right? That's how you know you can stay in the fight and actually win. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome to Grit for the Day podcast. I am CEO and founder of agileimmersive.com, Thomas Lee Johnson. Agileimmersive.com is a transformation strategy firm where we help organizations transform into higher performing versions of themselves. Nick Tampio, who has the grit to take a punch. And Nick is really, really good. Uh, He even goes so far as to take a boxing uh, class and actually box uh, as an amateur boxer uh, to mimic physical exertion with intellectual exertion. And him doing that allows him to understand both physically and intellectually, you can give a punch and you can take a punch and keep moving forward without being overcome by the discomfort of the punch. He also embodies the ideas of Shu Ha Ri, which says, learn the rule, be the rule, break the rule. And Nick encourages his students at Fordham University to learn the rules, be the rules, and break the rules intellectually of academic research, writing, and influencing political conversation. He also has 
intellectual courage to break, to diverge from what is commonly thought. And he has the courage to defend new positions and to think deeply and critically and to encourage his students to do the same. Nick empowers <laughs> dissent. This is rare in the 21st century. So much of academic thought is influenced by the norm and normative thinking, normative judgments. The fact that Nick can encourage and empower dissent means that he has a signature of greatness. Reference Doris Kern Goodwin's writings on Team of Rivals uh, and other historians uh, in that ilk. This is Grit to Take a Punch with Dr. Nick Tampio. Okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Grit for the Day. With us is Nicholas Tampio, a professor uh, of science, a political science at Fordham University. He's the author of five books, over a dozen peer-reviewed articles, dozens of articles in newspapers like the Boston Globe, USA Today, and the Washington Post. Welcome, Nicholas Tampio. TJ, it's great to be here. It's great to see you again. Good to see you. All right, Nicholas, uh, I haven't seen you in person in 31 years, <laughs> so it's been a while. Been we a went while. to Richard Montgomery uh, High School uh, back in the late 80s. Um, what have you been up to, uh, you know, since then? Um, so I went to New College of Florida in Sarasota, and it's a small liberal arts college and um, uh, studied, just got a great liberal arts education, uh, studied political science, philosophy, sociology, history. I also uh, picked up boxing. And so when I look back at my education, you know, my boxing coach was one of my great professors and that was real transformative experience in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to, uh, I, I went to Indiana university, got my master's degree in political science, went to Johns Hopkins, got my PhD, um, began an academic career. Um, and then I've been at Fordham university since 2008. And in 2019, I was promoted to full professor. So I'm, um, Pretty neat, you know. Maybe I maybe I could get an endowed chair, but but otherwise I'm sort of uh, sort of I've I've reached the top of my profession, and that's where I am. And and personally, I, I'm married and I have four kids, and uh, life is good in Connecticut. Marvelous. What what are the ages of your children? Uh, 16, 14, 11, 8. And eight. So you have an eight year old. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, they're four and, boys, and I hear I hear them running above, and you know that's just that's life with boys. There's just always going to be crashing and banging. So. Oh, absolutely. I also have four boys. Hey, so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I have a 27 year old. Okay. A uh, five year old, a four year old, and I have a baby on the way. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So I relate with the four boys thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What, you know, you know, you, you, we have a picture and I'll post this picture. You, you we have a picture of you, uh, in Mr. Miller's class. Yeah. Uh, in sixth grade. Uh, what was that like? Oh, that you know, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when you look back, you realize, Hmm, there was like some, some anticipation of what was going to happen. Um, 
every week in Mr. Miller's sixth grade class, there'd be a current events quiz. So every day on Friday, you would say, okay, uh, you know, who's the speaker of the house? And then I'd shoot my hand up and no, right? And then they'd say, all right, what, 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 what major outbreak in world, you know, in, in war happened today? Ooh, I shoot up my hand, right? <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy when I look back at my life, um, you know, I've been debating politics and I've been talking about politics since like my earliest memories. And so, you know, sixth grade, I looked at that picture. I see that little kid, you know, uh, nerdy little kid. And I was a patrol and that was good. And that was a sense of responsibility. So that was a, that was a good thing. But uh, talking about current events and uh, reading the newspaper, I was a paper boy um, in, in junior high and high school. And so there's a little after that picture. But yeah. you know, every every day, seventh, uh, eighth, early ninth grade, I was reading the newspaper. So, awesome. you know, I could sort of see I could see the trajectory at an early age. Yeah. Yeah. So I also have a picture here of you. Uh, in uh the is that the oval office with president Clinton? yeah so my um my uh stepfather was a major player in the department of veterans affairs and so um so for one ceremony he got me an invitation to meet bill clinton in the white house so awesome. you know yeah i um you know i have an interesting position within political theory that i'm sort of inside and outside of power so uh, you know, I like to I like to have one I like to have connection to my to DC and to, to powerful people, but I also I also think that you do philosophy at the margins and you have to sort of leave the city and leave common sense and leave familiar territory. But yeah, I met I met Bill Clinton and um, you know I you know I sort of grew up in the Washington power elite. I just grew up always meeting people. You know, even at Richard Montgomery, you know, we had um, Steny Hoyer, Representative Steny Hoyer come to, to, to speak. I invited him and, you know, I think he's the oldest, I think he's the longest serving member of Congress right now. Yes, he is. Yeah. So he came, you know, he came to, he came to, he came to uh, Richard Montgomery based on my invitation. So anyhow, yeah, I've, I feel like from an early age, I sort of known that like, you know, my job is to talk about politics. You know, it's so funny you bring up Steny Hoyer for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Steny Hoyer nominated me to the United States Air Force Academy. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> And Steny, one of the uh, financiers for Steny Hoyer's um, Prince George's County campaigns, because, mm-hmm. you know, a piece of his district runs through Prince George's, hmm. uh, is my late uncle, uh, Bill Humphrey. So Steny Hoyer is not my family friend, but a family friend of my uncle Bill, uh, Uncle mm-hmm. Bill. So that's really cool that there's that connection that we share. Yeah. Um I remember meeting a, a U.S. senator at your invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we went to the museum uh, in its original location uh-huh. uh, when it was before it was, you know, that big, beautiful, sprawling building on Constitution. It was in was it Roslyn? Yeah, right. The USA Today, USA Today building or near Roslyn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what well, how'd you. What was your connection to museum and and just like that or those early days? Yeah. Um, so what happened is my dad worked for a close up foundation. And OK. And um, so close up foundation had a connection to museum. So I'm sure I just, you know, had some connections and, and was able to was able to utilize those. Excellent. 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 And so we go from your early life right. uh, in Washington. And, and you said political philosophy happens at the margins. 
Yeah. You like to have a distinction between uh, operating in realms of power versus being on the margins, philosophizing about it. Yeah. How did you arrive at that way of thinking about political philosophy? Yeah, that's a, that's a, I, you know, it's a, it's a spectrum or a, a trajectory. And so it's hard to necessarily isolate one moment, but um, what, uh, here's one that stood out. I was taking constitutional law uh, in college and I remember thinking, you know, wow, these are really hard questions. I think the question was about uh, government funding for school buses. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, well, you know, if the government pays for the school buses, then it seems to be violating the establishment clause. But if you basically don't help religious families get to their schools, you're violating the uh, free exercise clause. And I thought, hmm, this is a really interesting quandary. And then I realized that if I was a lawyer, you know, unless I became a Supreme Court justice, I would just have to do what the people above me told me to think. And I realized, you know what, actually, I would rather just think for myself. I would rather. And so, you know, I, I could have become a politician, maybe, you know, let's not assume anything, but like, but when you're a politician, you kind of have to do what your funders and what the party says. And, you know, sometimes when you get to the top of the top of the political order, you could, you have a sort of realm of discretion, but otherwise you have to follow orders. So just, just for me, temperamentally, I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll step outside of the political realm. At least, you know, I won't run for office. I won't be, I won't identify with a political party, you know, and generally in my career, um, you know, I don't want to be a columnist. I don't want to be too entangled with any political movement. Mm -hmm. I want to just, I I just, if I can, I want to think for myself. I'm going to write a lot, tell people what I think. Sometimes they'll agree with me. Sometimes they'll disagree with me. Right. um, You know, for, for me, I just want to think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in these last, I, I'd say, and maybe you maybe you disagree with me, mm-hmm. uh, but in these in this last decade, from from 2012 to to, to, to right now, mm-hmm. American political thought and and activism mm-hmm. has has been so fraught with high polarization mm-hmm. and polemics. Right, it's like you thinking for yourself. Yeah. Isn't it, 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 it is is an obstacle that you need to overcome because there's so many things that want to push you in one direction or the other. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, you know, that's one of the challenges I face as as an as an author commenting on politics is, is that you don't fit neatly in a box and you confuse a lot of people. But, um, you know, I feel like I've been pretty successful in making arguments and being a good writer and, and finding finding ways to break in. So I can give you one example last year is that um, the Biden administration said it was going to call the FBI onto school boards to research school boards. And I started researching it and I wrote an article in USA Today saying, you know, you got to you got to you got you to have a little bit more evidence before you bring the FBI in that the Biden administration hadn't brought some hadn't brought enough evidence to justify mm-hmm bringing in the FBI. So on one level, it's a critique of Biden, but on another level, if you read it, you realize, you know, I'm not a, you know, I don't identify as a Republican. I don't, you know, I've never said anything publicly about, you know, former president. I don't, I don't even want to say his name if that's all right. So anyhow, you know, it's, it's basically, I, I've taken a nonpartisan position on a very controversial, heated partisan issue. And you right. know, somehow, somehow I was able to make that argument in the public sphere. Excellent. Excellent. So knowing what we know about 
this current moment and these last few years, mm -hmm. what would you identify as an adversity that you've had to overcome for you to ascend uh, from the, you know, assistant professor, adjunct professor, all the layers uh, that that you had to ascend through to get to where you are? Yeah. So other other people have had have had kind of adversities that I've been very fortunate not to have. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to present myself as, as, as somebody who um, got a bad hand in life. Cause I got a good hand in life, but I, I would still say that, you know, I um, I'm in a field where it's very hard to succeed that, um, that when I was at Indiana university and then Johns Hopkins university, I was with some very, very bright people who couldn't find a place in academia um, you know, who've by and large gone on to do successful things, but, right. but, but, you know, in academia, when I was on the job market, you know, there were, there would be, you know, hundreds of qualified applicants and there'd be a dozen good jobs. Wow. And then, um, you know, I've published in plenty of journals that only accept 5% of the submissions yeah. and, and, you know, it's always, it's always, you know, an accomplishment to something to celebrate when you publish in the Washington post or the Boston globe or Eon. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I feel like, um, academia is a very, very, it's like a slippery pole that it's very, very hard to climb to the top. Um, and I want it to be a slippery pole. I want it to be hard, but, but, you know, I, you know, if you're going to ask me, you know, I'm proud, I'm proud that I was able to, to hold on to the slippery slope and, you know, touch the top. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's overcoming. You're an influencer overcoming adversity. So our audience wants to know, Nick, yeah. Dr. Dr. Tampio, how'd you, how'd you sure your grip as you ascended that slippery pole? Yeah. Well, um, but boy, that we could go in a lot of different directions, but what one great piece of advice we got from, or I got from my high school guidance counselor, uh, Rusty Woodford, Russell Woodford. And I actually wrote him a letter to thank him for this piece of advice. One thing he told me in high school is he said, you know, all the energy you spend worrying about a problem, you could use that energy to sort of fix the problem or to overcome the problem. Mm. You know, and, you know, there've been so many moments in life where I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a deadline. I've got to turn this paper in on Monday. It's Friday night. How am I going to get it done? And then I hear, you know, I hear Mr. Woodford in the back of my mind saying, you know, st stop thinking about the problem and just start fixing the problem and just put your head down and keep working. Yeah. And you know, that, that advice in the, my whole life has, um, has just keep coming back to me, you know, that, that, okay, I'm going to be on CNN in one hour. I'm not ready but I've got one hour. I'm going to do everything. I can. All right. I'm going to read this article. I'm going to read this abstract. And I'm going to read these, these paragraphs. Okay. Camera's on. I'm going to do my best job uh, on CNN. Right. So that, that that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, I think that uh, a lot of what happens in our lives, uh, our thoughts, the, the, the garden of our thoughts is our body and our heart and our, and our happiness. And yes. so, so one thing, you know, is, um, I don't drink much alcohol. Uh, I, you know, I went two years without drinking any alcohol recently. Now, you know, now I have a little bit socially, but I mean, just you want your body strong. I, I try to do exercise. I'm, I'm very fortunate that uh, I'm in a loving, loving, happy marriage with a wife who's just constantly rooting for me and supporting me. And that's awesome. It's it makes a huge yeah no it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, Nick Tampio, Gina Tampio, it's sort of like one, it's one entity. So, you know, <laughs> so, so it's my name on the article. It's my name on the, you know, it's my name on the book. Uh, here's my new book, you know, but, um, uh, but it's we're te- we're a team, you know. Everything I do, our lives are constantly me chatting with her, hugging her, cooking with her, eating with her, raising children with her. So, um, you know, it's you can. So it's good to have it's good to have like intellectual slogans in your head. But I mean, it really you want to get your life in order. If your life in order, other things tend to follow. Absolutely, absolutely. So it, it seems like you're saying you ascend, you grip that slippery pole with not just uh, focusing thoughts on fixing and solving, mm-hmm. but also by having order and love in how you live your life with your wife, with mm-hmm. your children. Mm-hmm. The, those are simple, direct lessons that we could all internalize, man. I mean, <laughs> sometimes isn't it the simplest stuff that really sticks? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll, here's my controversial thing. Uh, drink water, right? <laughs> get, get sunshine, um, you know, find somebody who loves you and you love them back. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the simple things that, but you yeah. know, it's, it, they're, they're, they make sense, you know, get your life in order and, and other things will follow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded when you, you held up your book, teaching political theory. Yeah. I'm reminded, I don't know why. Remember Mr. Hines, our history teacher? Yeah, sure. To to this very day, when I think about studying political economy, political theory, the history of, you know, obviously American history, but also like um, like political history, Mm -hmm. I, I constantly, even though I'm reading other books, I constantly think about our time with Mr. Hines because mm-hmm. of the passion and the depth of of specifics and and just the way he the way he taught yeah was so inspirational how do you when you think about your past mm-hmm. what did you take what lessons did you take into writing the book teaching political theory well I'll, let me let me start with mr hines cuz i think there there's two there's two things i got from mr hines two lessons i take from him um one, I took his class on the Enlightenment, or did you do you remember studying any of the Enlightenment with with Mr. Hines? Yeah. Um, and so my first book was was called Advancing the Enlightenment. And wow. Yeah. And when I was in grad school, excuse me, no, when I was a, a senior in, in in college, I read um, some work by this German philosopher Leo Strauss, who was criticizing the Enlightenment. And I said, I've never heard of anybody criticize the Enlightenment. How could you criticize the Enlightenment? The Enlightenment's good. Mr. Hines, right? <laughs> So, so my first book was really an attempt to defend the Enlightenment from a, a criticism of it. But you know, the the second thing I took from Mr. Hines was is just the seriousness with which he approached his craft. Yes. And you know, when you were in his class, you felt like you were doing something important. You know that it wasn't just studying for a test. You were actually like doing something. Like you were entering the world, like a huge conversation in world history and that he was bringing you up to speed so that when it was your turn, you'd be able to contribute to that conversation. And, you know, and so I've really tried, you know, when you, when you figure out like, what are the ingredients in me as a person, as a teacher, so much Mr. Hines, right. I, um, I take for granted that students are going to forget 99% of the specifics 
they they learn in my class. Maybe ninety eight, right. right, seven. But the point, <laughs> the point right, right? That right that if you know, uh, you know, I've I've walked through students. You know how Kant constructs the categorical imperative in the groundwork for the metaphysics of morals. At, Ten years after my class, are students going to be able to remember the steps? I don't think so. But what they do remember is, you know, you take ideas seriously. You show that you take ideas seriously. That it's not just a game. That it that the stakes are important. And I also really try to show that, like, I care about students, you know, I, and, and this is something I got from Mr. Hines, but also my grad school mentor, uh, Bill Connolly, is that it's sort of like a lot hangs on what you think students, like, what do you think you need to, you need to tell me. And, and yes, we're doing this in a university and yes, it's for grades and yes, I'm getting paid and yes, you're paid. But, but listen, like, this is all just a big contrivance for you right now to think about big questions about taxes, about gender, about race, about American history, about, you know, global justice, about democracy, right? So that that's what I want to give students that, that, you know, these, this stuff matters and what you think matters. I mean, that's excellent. I, I love what you said about the craft of teaching. Mm -hmm. I've never thought of professorship mm -hmm. as a craft yeah. because my professors in college and in graduate school mm -hmm. approached us as authoritarian. <laughs> you better do this or right. I'm going to fail you. Right. So, <laughs> okay. Taking notes. Don't yeah. Fail, right. Like, right. Um, first of all, you just kind of, you opened my mind to the idea of, uh, you know, academe as being a craft. <laughs> so thank you for that. Second of all, um, can you talk more about having that open dialogue and mm -hmm. inspiring students to actually think for themselves mm -hmm. and reinforcing their ideas about the world? Well, you know, um, when I when I started college, my my mentor uh, Eugene Lewis, this is my memory. It, it, it might not be entirely accurate, but my memory is him grabbing the desk and shaking it and telling me to pay attention. And you know, he's talking about Plato, and I was drifting off. You know, what thinking? You know, just not paying attention. He shook the desk, and and you know, he was that old school football player type of 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 yelling. And um, you know, I. I you can't, you can't teach that way anymore. You shouldn't be able to teach that way. I don't know if you can coach that way anymore. I'm sure that there are some football coaches who do that, but we're, we're in a different, we're in a different era right now as, as, as teachers. And, um, and it's good, you know, by and large, it's good. Like, I mean, I wish sometimes I could push students harder than I do. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I use Eugene Lewis method, but, but by and large, I don't. And, and one of the, one of my techniques is, um, I, I think on my feet with students. And so if, I think if you go to ratemyprofessors.com, there's like one review that was like, yeah, Tampio is a pretty good professor, but you could really, you could tell he was kind of like thinking alongside of us in class. He was learning the material alongside of us. And I want to <laughs> be like, yes, that's hundred percent right. You know, I mean, that's, that's what I do in class. I say, um, you know, here's this, here's, here's this, this topic. It's brand new. It's in the news. Let's break into groups of three students. You got 15 minutes, do research, come back, tell me what you find. And sometimes I'll say, all right, um, you know, you, 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 you folk, 
group A, focus on this side, B, this, this, like this. We'll come together and we'll share our knowledge. And so, yeah, that that's my style. I mean, knowledge acquisition is an ongoing thing. Politics is not settled. It's not, it's not basic math. It's, there are no right or wrong answers. There, I mean, there are better or worse answers. There are more, more or less convincing answers. There's, you know, you get, you know, there's, I still give grades. I still have high standards, but right. you know, I really, I want students to feel like, Hey, listen, this is like, like an ongoing thing. And, and I need to, I need to think creatively. I need to, I need to do my own research. I need to, uh, consider the best objections to my, my position. So yeah, yeah that, that, that's what I do in my classes. That's excellent. Have you ever had a, a more senior professor or peer professor mm. push back on your style, push back on your writing, push back on your approach? Well, I mean, I, um, I think I, yeah, this is funny. I had a, uh, a senior professor who's fantastic scholar, incredible scholar, uh, he studied the presidency and he was doing a, a peer evaluation of me teaching a course in American political thought. And I, if, if memory serves, I was teaching uh, W.E.B. Du Bois's The Souls of Black Folk. And one of Du Bois's ideas in The Souls of Black Folk is that the African-American community should dedicate its resources on the talented 10th. And, um, and, you know, he's basically saying that like the future leaders, let's identify them, let's have them go far and then they'll pull up the rest of the community. Incredibly controversial idea. You know, I mean, he backed away from it near the end of his life, but, but, you know, in, in 1903, the souls of black folk, he published that. So I taught it to students. I, I taught it. And then I asked students what they thought, and then they started arguing. And then there was lots of yelling, <laughs> like the class was like getting really, really heated, you know, and, and, you know, Jeff Cohen, great guy, great scholar. He was just looking around like, what, what is happening here? Right? <laughs> it was like a barroom brawl is about to break out, you know, and, and here I am, I'm like, you know what, I've got 35 students who are like, you know, flipping through the text and thinking really hard and searching the internet, trying to find evidence. And I'm like, this is what, this is great. You know, they're, they're never going to forget this, or at least, not, you know, not for a while, but like, this is the action, right? Because class is only an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, my goal is I want them thinking after class, the rest of their lives. I want them to remember that thrill of excitement. Um, that's, that's much better than me teaching them a few facts about Du Bois. So much better to treat it as a matter of like, you know, life and death. So awesome. Awesome. You know, there's a parallel between you mm -hmm. and I believe, I believe it is Socrates who was the wrestler, the fighter. Am I right about that? Or was that? Uh, no, no, Plato. Anyhow, make your point. I mean, Socrates was the gadfly. He would go around sort of annoying people and poking holes in their arguments. Right, right. One of them was a pancreatist, a, a, a Greek wrestler kind of mm -hmm. fighter. One of the political philosophers were, and 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 he said that in in the conflict, yeah. in the wrestling itself is a piece of the evolution of argumentation, and the the the, the conflict validates the conclusion mm -hmm. because it, it it the idea stands up under testing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love I love that idea. I mean, the Greek word is agon, contest, and so yeah, I mean, um, 
the Greek philosophy came up in you know the same milieu as the Olympics, and there's a lot of competition, and there's a lot of view that competition brings out your best. Thank you for joining us on Grit for the Day podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lee, TJ Johnson. It has been a delight to spend time with you today. Grit for the Day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome. With CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson. Here's to you, my friend. I hope you find your grit to endure and overcome today. Grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome. With CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson.